Welcome to a special interview episode of Virtuous Man. We had the chance to sit down with our friends Ethan and Jared Thomas of A Brother's Creed to discuss our Seven Deadly Sins season. If you haven't listened yet, you can listen to the full season now. Stay tuned at the end of this episode to learn the release date of Season 4 of the Virtuous Man podcast. For now, we hope you enjoy our chat on the Seven Deadly Sins. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Brother's Creed Podcast. We're talking about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared, and today we're joined by Virtuous Men Podcast, uh, Jamie and Scott, and we talk about their season that they did, their mini-pod season, about the seven deadly sins and their corresponding virtues. Uh, And it's a great mini-series. Ethan and I both listened to it. We were like, man, we got to get these guys on and talk about these virtues. This is kind of like ancient wisdom here. So I would encourage everybody to go and check those out. Uh, This is just going to be a, you know, an hour ish review of those. Uh, But the whole idea is just to give you an intro to these topics and then tease you over to go listen to those because they're definitely worth a listen. So. And the, yeah, these are definitely, I mean, attributes that apply to every facet of our life. I, I mean, everyone has heard of the seven deadly sins before. And so it, this is a cool episode where we kind of interview them a little bit about uh, about their stories that they share, as well as we dive in a little bit to each one of them and and, and share our opinions and our thoughts uh, on each one of these these sins and the, the opposing virtue that helps to defeat the sin. That's right. So it's really good. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome, guys. Good to be back, guys. Good to be home. Good to be home. <laughs> always, always great when we get together. Yeah, it's like a every every time we get together, it's just like it's it's like getting together for Thanksgiving. That's right. <laughs> a masterpiece is born. Yeah. <laughs> and, and tonight, well, we're, I, don't know, I don't know about that, but yeah, hey, it is. Uh, tonight, we're actually in a unique situation <laughs> where we're all we're all across the United States. Ethan and I are here on the in in North Carolina. Actually, I'm South Carolina. Ethan's North Carolina. Uh, Jamie's on his, his van trip around the U- U.S. tonight. He's in San Antonio, and Jamie, Scott you're, is. or Scott is, Scott is, and yeah. then Jamie, you're in Washington, I, right? I'm up in Washington State. Yeah. yeah. So this is to we've had to do across three different time zones to bring you this episode. <laughs> I was really hoping. I'm hoping that one day we can get four time zones, so we each are in a different one. That's <laughs> that's the next goal. So one of you has to travel really far somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, just next, so you know. Next time Ethan goes to Dallas for work. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Or American Samoa or something like that. Yeah, hey, that's a good work trip. So Yeah, there you go. So this is, you know, we wanted to bring you guys together because uh you had a great uh mini pod series that you did. Um, and we know that your your podcast is called Virtuous Men and you guys talk about virtues, but this was kind of an interesting pod mini podcast series about um, how the opposite of these virtues, which are almost the, these vices, and are, what are commonly known as the seven deadly sins. And you guys did this kind of around Halloween last year. Is that right? Right. Yeah, that's right. And then it finished up, let's see, I think it was almost in December. Did it go through December? Yeah, I think it was uh, November, I think. Mid-November, I think it was, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Loose and unscripted at the end of no- end of November. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, we initially we initially wanted to end it right on Halloween, but then we also do our loose and unscripted. Uh-huh. So, so in addition to that, because we technically consider those to be part of whatever season we do, so that kind of extended it into November. Yeah. 
So uh, for, for those out there, so we're going to talk about these seven deadly sins, which are such a fascinating um, kind of context to think of things. And then also the, the sins and also their corresponding virtues. And we're going to share some clips uh, from these guys' uh, Minipod series. Uh, and again, this is to help you think about these things. I think they're excellent to think about. And then go check out those videos. They're absolutely great. Uh, they're usually about uh, 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes each. Uh, yeah, a little, little shorter than our our feature or our full length edition of the of the podcast by twenty minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're great, and so, and they could just be found. I mean, obviously, the audio on uh you know wherever you listen to podcasts and wherever you listen to a brother's creed, I'm sure the Virtuous Men podcast is there as well. Um, and just go in there. It's the the last season. Is this season number four? Is that? what you guys are considering it or yeah the that's, season, a, or? that's a good question we've actually we just talked about that what do we consider the 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 seven deadly sins i, I guess it's kind of, of uh, like a its own thing it's basically um, it, it's kind of like a subspecies of season so whatever that would be <laughs> this the sin season let's just call it that okay all right the, <laughs> oh, sin, ah, the, cool. the, the, the sinful season yeah <laughs> i, I actually I, I thought it was the seventh season because i saw seven ds but now i'm just realizing that's seven deadly sins yeah <laughs> that's why yeah, i said that, oh that how's was... episode eight coming but that, that, now i'm realizing that's seven deadly sins <laughs> yeah that, that was my, my that was my handiwork was probably not a good idea because people are going to get confused <laughs> yeah. yeah that's why no, i've but... always been that's why i've always been against using acronyms because they're so easy to misunderstand <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it, it was it was really good. I mean, I was listening to it, and it's it's uh very produced very well. More of a th- theatrical telling of some of these uh, of all the sins, and then stories and examples of of each of the sins, and then you know what uh, what what obviously the opposing virtue or the corresponding virtue is with that, and how to overcome uh, those those vices. So. Uh, really interesting, and so let's let's go ahead and get into it, Jared. I yeah, think we're gonna have like a little kickoff explanation uh, video, or uh, not video. These are audio clips from uh, from the Virtuous Men podcast. Yeah, this is. Uh, let's jump in here where you guys kind of de- begin to describe what those what those virtues are. A sin is an immoral behavior that one performs in direct opposition to virtue. For every good action, there is an evil action. For every virtue, there is a vice. Both forces work against one another in the hearts and minds of mankind for the benefit or destruction of humanity. Stories of history and fiction have clearly revealed the truth that while every man is capable of great virtue, so too is he capable of unspeakable evil. This duality was famously summarized in what is known as the Seven Deadly Sins, first listed by Pope Gregory I in the 6th century, and then further developed by Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, the list highlights the key sins in human nature that ultimately lead to destruction and death. So, epic intro. Well, that's a good little teaser. <laughs> Love the Highland music. <laughs> yeah, that was. I think that one was for your, uh, was it episode 3 of Wrath? The Hatfields and McCoys, Scott? You can probably tell by the music. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's funny when we got into this, um, it was a long, I think we covered this in loose and unscripted Scott. Um, we got into doing this because I read a book called, I've got it up here. It's, uh, dangerous virtues. Uh, it's actually a Christian book. Um, the subtitle is how to follow Jesus when evil masquerades as good. Mm. And 
the kind of whole point of the book is, you know, nowadays it seems like things that were once considered evil are now considered good, considered virtuous. And it kind of goes through each seven deadly sin and how they're almost thought of as, as good things uh, in the present day. And then it went to kind of corresponded it with the opposing actual virtue, kind of like how we did. So that was kind of how we got into this. And we thought, well, maybe we could, I don't know, interview the, the author at some point. And we didn't really do that. And then it kind of dropped off and we did other things. We did the mini pod season. And then I think Scott, you brought it up. You're like, what if we did like a mini pod kind of season of the seven deadly sins around Halloween? And it kind of, you know, I kind of around Halloween it was kind of perfect timing, so that's why we did that. And yeah, I think it was really fun to do. It was very different. Obviously, we're virtuous man. We we did a whole episode of sin, but yeah, um, <laughs> whole it, season it of does, sin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it gives the you know the other side of the coin of of man who who did horrific things and and the consequences of them. Yeah. Well, I I always like the saying right, and and a lot of times for me. Uh, studying examples of, of other people uh, can teach us a lot about what to do and also what not to do. Uh, I think yeah. that is a, a, a very virtuous trait. And it, it reminds me of the quote, um, a couple different versions of the quote, but one of them is, um, a, a, a smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. <laughs> um, it kind of goes That's along good. with... Uh, there's another saying that says a, a, a smart man or, or being smart is to know that a tomato is a fruit, but being wise is knowing that it doesn't go in a fruit salad. Um, <laughs> so, oh, that's so, so, good. so so I think uh, studying, yeah, studying kind of the, the opposite of, of virtue helps us to better understand the virtue itself. Uh, and so I, I think this is, you know, yeah, maybe it, it the, the specific things aren't uh you know the seven deadly sins aren't virtuous in and of themselves but it can teach us from examples of how to be more virtuous yeah yeah so let's uh let's dive into the first one so the first oh, one is actually i was going to say do you have something I, yeah i was just going to share one one thing that i kind of looked at the little bit of the history of the seven deadly sins or this kind of concept uh and i just found the history a little bit just so interesting uh, you guys, in your little intro there, you kind of pick up with Pope Gregory the first, and that's when it was kind of narrowed down to seven. But actually, before that, and I'm sure you guys you know studied this, there was a guy named Evagarius uh, Ponticus, and 370 A.D. around around then, uh, he came up wow. with the eight evil thoughts, and this was kind of the impetus of all this. At the time, it was gluttony, lust, avarice, anger, sloth, sadness, which is one that was later hmm. uh, changed. Uh, vainglory and pride, and so, and then later, uh, Pope Gregory the First and 590 A.D. around there, uh, he rearranged them uh, as he was writing his commentary in the Book of Job, removing sloth and adding envy. Uh, also, he 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 actually took out pride. He said that pride was kind of overarching over all of these. I thought that was very interesting. Mm. Uh, and then later, mm. Thomas Aquinas in 1258 A.D. Or, you know, around that time frame. Uh, did this so something that really struck me is like from 370 AD all the way to 1250 AD even de- all the way down to today where you have like the movie Shazam or or you know 
uh, that are about these uh, deadly sins. Not that Shazam added anything meaningful to this argument, but uh, <laughs> but I just I just think that this ancient wisdom. I mean, that's really what it is. It's like ancient wisdom. Uh, it, it's yeah. so cool, and that's why I really like latched onto this and just was like, this is really deep. Like these these virtues uh, and vices are so deep and thoughtful. Uh, probably because they're thousands of years old. So and in, ingrained really into every facet of our existence of of our environment and our communities in in different ways for the good and for the bad yeah yeah so anyway that was just one, one tidbit i want to share but you want to go ahead and jump in on on pride ethan yeah so the first one uh the first episode is on pride and kind of like jerry said this one's kind of an overarching one that i think uh it kind of entails into everyone but uh, let's go ahead and play kind of the, the little definition clip of Pride from the episode itself, and then we'll get into uh, kind of the example that it talks about. All right. Welcome to episode one, The Pride of Jim Jones. This episode's sin is Pride. Pride is the inner conviction that one's beliefs, actions, and achievements are above all others. A prideful man believes that he has all the answers, that he should not be questioned, and that those who oppose him are wrong. While a man can be proud of what he has done or achieved with a humble heart, a prideful man sees his achievements and knowledge as the only way to success and fulfillment. In the eyes of a prideful man, there is only his way and no other. One of the 20th century's most notorious examples of pride was the infamous cult leader Jim Jones. His lifelong descent into pride came to an unforgettable conclusion that still continues to confound and horrify us to this day. Due to graphic and disturbing content, this episode may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's a a strong one to uh, kick off the the season with. So, uh, Jim Jones, uh, Scott or Jamie, you want to kind of explain a little bit about who this was, and and we don't have to get into extreme detail, but um, maybe kind of what made him such a prideful person. Well, so when Jamie and I were dealing out who was going to do which sin, I ended up getting pride. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted pride, and maybe you can elaborate on this, Jamie, maybe I'm getting it wrong, but I instantly thought of doing a cult leader for that virtue, or sorry, for that sin, mm -hmm. because it's the common trait that you see in cult leaders is that they are always defined by pride, every single one of them. They are just narcissistic to their very core as human beings. And so it, it was a no brainer, like yeah, I got to do a cult leader, and who better than the the arguably the most wicked of all of them, Jim Jones, and and he was like so many of them in that he um, you know, he genuine he was a complicated individual that he he really was moved by human suffering, and he really was hurt by it, and he and he hated racism to the core. Like that's one of the most interesting things about him is that he um he really hated racism more than anything else. And he did a lot to desegregate uh, uh, Indianapolis is a good example. That's where he grew up was in the state of Indiana. And he did a lot to desegregate entire portions of that state and which is admirable. So you look at him and you just go, what went wrong? You know, 
but mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, and like many cult leaders, you know, he had a very troubled upbringing. He didn't have a lot of love growing up and he was kind of left to his own devices in a lot of ways. So he was kind of an outsider from the beginning and that either can bring out the worst in someone or help them be better. And in his case, sadly, it led to him becoming what he became. Yeah. And not to not to give away the whole story, right? But uh, I guess a little teaser with that is uh, this is where the saying uh, "Don't drink the Kool Aid" comes from, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, Although uh, um, it, it, there's actually just there's a little bit of a correction there. So it's okay. often believed that it was Kool Aid, but it was actually Flavor Aid that was used. But for whatever reason, it became known as Kool Aid. So just a <laughs> slight historical tidbit that's often neglected is that okay. it was actually Flavor Aid and not Kool Aid. But drink the Kool Aid sounds a little bit, you know, it has to, <laughs> it sounds a little trademark. bit better. Sounds better rolling off the tongue. Yeah. 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 We're not sponsored by Kool Aid, so we'll use flavor. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's really interesting. And so and, and so he was able to through his uh yeah that that pride and and what could have been potentially great ambition to to help um was driven by that pride and I guess desire to uh, constantly have approval and 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 be correct and be right and and everything else drove him to uh you know basically convince large amount of people to do some pretty bad things um and that's another trait that you see in cult leaders is that they are the, the term that's often used to describe a cult leader is master manipulator and that is exactly who he was so you have the combination of narcissism pride and just being very good at persuading people that you you are right that you have the answers you know that's a a trait that every cult leader has because that's the thing is that you look at the incident that happened in jonestown and something like that did not just happen it's not like 900 people just chose to end their lives because he said so i mean there was a gradual progression of persuasion that is characteristic of all cults is that you, you look at like the Manson family is another great example. Like the, these people didn't just decide to kill seven people out of the blue. You know, it was, yeah. a con- it was just this constant persuasion of follow me. I'm right. Listen to me. I am the one who has access to this knowledge that you don't have. So listen to me. And they're often very good at making people feel like they belong, that they have a purpose. And that's what everybody wants in life. So when you see someone who has those qualities and can convince you that, that, you have that within you, then yeah, you're going to follow that person. I mean, guaranteed you're going to follow them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then what's the, the opposing or the corresponding virtue that will combat this sin? The virtue that defeats pride is humility. And it's another one of those cases like you were talking about Ethan, where you look at, um, you, you see these virtues and then, but very often, you know, we can, we can usually see a virtue pretty clearly but sin is not always as easy to to see. So when you have something that defeats that sin, you know, it, it's it, it tends to be more subtle, I, I think, you know, like like I think there's a phrase of um, evil cannot exist without good, but good does not need evil to exist. So always mm-hmm. so something like pride is the corruption of humility, mm-hmm. which and humility does not need pride to exist as opposed to the other way around yeah so and and you look at um in the case of jim jones or just any kind of cult leader you can clearly see somebody with his talents somebody who did a lot of good for people and and 
you you can clearly see how his life and his ministry would have gone had he taken those routes as well. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of interesting too how pride is kind of an overarching sin that incorporates, I think, every single one of the other ones. But it's funny how the the corresponding virtue of humility kind of would potentially help with any of these other sins as well. Just being humble in general uh, is just such a, um, yeah, you know, you know, a, a great a great portion of someone's creed. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I think too another, especially a great thing about humility is that it's a, it's the opposite of pride in that it does not ask for the spotlight. It doesn't ask for attention, whereas pride, that's all you want. Mm-hmm. No, you want everyone to focus on you and how great you are. But humility has no place for the spotlight. It's just I'm going to, you know, allow other people to flourish and I'm going to take a back seat if I need to. If I need to step forward, I'll do that. But I'm not going to seek, seek it, seek it for the credit. I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So and yeah. it's another one of those cases where you can see you can see how they kind of are at war with one another. And it's, it's fascinating. That was the, one of the fascinating things about this particular season was looking at the opposing virtue that defeated the sin and how they're just at war with one another. And it was just a fascinating dynamic to look into. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and go to the next one. Let's, let's, let's do greed here. Uh, Jamie, this was one of yours, right? That's right. All right. Let's go ahead and dive into this, this description here. Welcome to episode two, the greed of Napoleon Bonaparte. This episode's sin is greed. Greed is an uncontrollable, unquenchable desire to acquire more of something by any means necessary. This can take on the form of material possessions like goods, money, and land. It can also involve social value, status, or power. The greed of an individual not only leads to the ultimate demise of themselves, but can directly result in the deprivation of others. The debate over how much is too much has raged throughout the centuries, leading to polarizing economic and political viewpoints. But the greed of some men sets the bar so high that few would debate its validity. One such man was Napoleon Bonaparte. In this episode we'll explore the life of the infamous French military commander and discover how his odious desire for more led to not only his own downfall, but to the demise of one of the largest armies ever assembled, and their empire along with it. Yeah, this one's, uh, this is a good one. I, I, well, I liked, I liked all of them, but I really like this one, and, and the, you chose Napoleon. What made you choose Napoleon here? I think I've always wanted to do something about Napoleon, and obviously... You know, virtuous man. He he certainly had virtues, but I think his his well his greed and among other sins uh, overshadow the virtue that he had. And so when we were doing this seven deadly sins, I said, okay, I'm I gotta do I gotta do Napoleon for greed. And uh, I had actually just listened to um it's a, an episode it's a podcast called Real Dictators. They did a whole season on Napoleon, and uh-huh. it's a really fascinating story. Um, just kind of how he came to power. It was kind of, kind of this un, unknown guy. He wasn't even, you know, born in France. He was from this little island off of Italy called Corsica. And how he became French dictator is just kind of mind-boggling. 
And so it was such an interesting story to research and tell. And then he gets to this point where he's just, he's all powerful. Basically he's, he's very much the, you know, basically the emperor of Europe at one point. And there's only, you know, Britain and a couple other countries and then Russia standing in his way. And where greed comes into it is, you know, he, he basically had it all, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. And he wanted, he wanted more. And so, yeah, he, he invades Russia, Russia and it just goes sideways on him. And <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, it, the army that he assembled is, I forget the number. It was, is something like 600, 700,000 yep. men. Yeah. And he came back I with like only four or 5, maybe 000. a, a yeah. quarter. Yeah. It, like I, it was, it was less than a quarter actually made it home and they did make it, you know, they made it into Moscow and we kind of go into that in the episode, the, the, the citizens of Moscow just kind of burnt, burnt the city to the ground. They're like, fine, if, if we, if we can't, if we lost to you guys, you, you guys aren't going to get it for free. So we're yeah. just going to burn the place to the ground. And it was just horrible from that point on. They, they're trekking home in the winter and and then there's a coup and, mm-hmm. and someone's trying to depose Napoleon at the same time in France. So yeah, it, it really was his downfall. Um, and then he he kind of comes back a little bit and really fascinating historical events in that one. And I think it really does highlight the virtue of greed of that just never, never being satisfied, always wanting more, even when you have more than you could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like isn't that, that kind of go ahead, Ethan. I was going to say, isn't that kind of too what uh, in, in World War Two, what one of the reasons why Hitler uh basically went under was because he decided that he was going to take on the russians on yeah. the the eastern front at the same time as he was taking on everybody else on the western front and and just yeah it's just kind of you want want too much too quick not that yeah. it was a bad thing that hitler lost but just, <laughs> he overestimated yeah, yeah hitler yeah. hitler decided he wanted uh, it was it was a want and a need i think he they needed oil and and the uh, the Caucasus and and Russia they needed oil from there, so they decided to to go and get it. And yeah, obviously, they they started far too late and they ran into winter. And yeah, fighting in Russia in winter is never going to be a winning strategy. No, uh, like the Battle of Stalingrad, just yeah, absolutely exactly. fail. Yeah, actually, we did an episode called episode on military blunders. I think it was Ethan, right? And I talked yeah. about uh, that Russian invasion uh, by Napoleon, his Russian campaign how just absolutely awful it was. People just freezing to death and just falling to the side of the road and just like, you better keep walking. Half of them didn't even have shoes, you know, and they were just coming back from this triumphant victory that was just such a fail, you know. Uh, but I, That definitely staggered me whenever I, because we always look at each other's scripts whenever we, before we start recording. And when I was reading the script that Jamie sent me, I was just, wow. Like, <laughs> did he seriously lose that many guys? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it, you you just you can't you can't make it you can't make stuff like that up you know. I think that one part of the so obviously this the virtue here is greed. One part that I was like, oh yeah, this is perfect was when he was being uh, crowned emperor uh, by what was it, the Pope. Uh, yeah, and the Pope was supposed to put uh, the crown on his head, symbolizing this is an endowment from God. He grabs the right. crown, and he puts it on his own head. Uh, talk about you know a- ambition for power and, and authority. Like I think that's a personification of the greed that he did it on his own and nobody else helped him, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had fun with that, that kind of sequence and I wanted to make it kind of, you know, cinematic and like this, yeah. this climax of, wow, this guy's just gone too far. And, um, <laughs> I, I honestly you know, looked, he, I was like, no way did he just do that. And I actually looked, I was like, I was like, I not that I don't trust you guys, but I was like, I have to look this up because this is crazy. I didn't believe yeah. it. And so I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty bold, man. Yeah. And what did he, did he say something? Did he say like something well, to he, his brother or something? Yeah. He turns to his brother and he whispers, uh, if Papa could see us now, uh, meaning, oh, you yeah. know, where we came from, which, you know, is, is legitimate, you know, they, yeah. they came from nothing and, and here he is being crowned emperor of the French oh. you know, in, in Notre Dame Cathedral by the Pope, who he didn't let crown him. <laughs> <laughs> crown himself. Yeah. yeah. All right, what go about ahead. the, uh, the opposing virtue? Oh yeah. The opposing, As, yeah. Go ahead. So the opposing virtue for this one was, uh, contentment, contentment being, you know, it's a satisfaction with what you have, no matter wh- whether it's, whether you have a lot or a little, uh, there's, there's people with not a lot who are very content. And there's also people who have everything and they're never content. And so it's, it's not something that has really anything to do with how rich you are, how much you have. It's more of a, a heart issue. Um, and kind of a, a focus on what is really important in life. Is it, seeking power ambition things material wealth or is it you know things like family um things like uh good relationships community you know these those are the things i think can make people content and i I would say without those things it is almost impossible to be content and i think it's because of that that people like you know napoleon he he really didn't have the the family structure, there was a, there's a whole story I didn't really go into with his wife, but really odd marriage. There was a lot of infidelity on both sides and he never really had a, a strong family life and, or community. So I think I kind of paralleled that with, with this virtue that, that defeats the sin of greed as, as being contentment. Hmm. Awesome. Love that. I like it. I like it. All right, so we've got a couple more to get through here, but uh, so the next one is is wrath, and this one uh, was really interesting, and actually it, it corresponds a little bit to um, well we'll get into it too, but we talk, you guys talked about Hadfields and McCoys, and Jared and I did a whole episode on them as well, and I can really see how kind of that wrath goes back and forth. So let, let's play the play the clip. Welcome to episode three. The Wrath of the Hatfields and McCoys. This episode's sin is wrath. Wrath is characterized by rash, unwise, and destructive actions brought on by anger, jealousy, or vengeance. Whether brought on by terrible injustice or minor offenses, wrath is capable of wreaking chaos and destruction like few other sins. It is blind to the truth, unwilling to compromise, and is only concerned with feelings of superiority and justice, whether warranted or not. In the eyes of a wrathful man, everything he does is justified to himself, no matter how horrible his actions may be. One of American history's most infamous examples of wrath occurred after the Civil War on the border of Kentucky and West Virginia. 
It was a conflict between two families whose names would be forever linked after the terrible tragedies finally came to an end. They were the Hatfields and McCoys. There's, there was a whole lot of killing going on between those two. <laughs> whole lot of killing. Just yeah, to say to say the over, least. Over over what a pig. <laughs> a, hog. a stolen hog. <laughs> that's how. Well, that's how some people interpret it. But yeah. Well, there was obviously a lot, a lot deeper than that. But yeah, <laughs> what, what made you choose the Hatfields and McCoys for this one? Well, I think when I when I was thinking of doing the sin of wrath, I I. I didn't quite think of it right off the bat, but I just thought, wrath, wow, how do you, how do you encompass that? I mean, is it like, it's not the sort of thing where you think to yourself, is there a particular individual or historical figure that really stands out as personifying this sin? But then it occurred to me, well, Hatfields and McCoys, like what a perfect, what a perfect group of people to do, you know? I mean, like you said, whole lot of killing on both sides of on both sides of the families and and not only that but it's just a fascinating story i mean you can't help but wonder what why these two families hated each other so much and also why it's gone down in history as the most famous american feud of all of them when america is full of feuds so the hatfields and mccoys that is just one of hundreds in american history but for some reason this one has particularly stood out in the american imagination so researching it i just kept thinking what is it about this one that really stands out and it has all of those juicy elements it has like shakespearean myth- mythological qualities to it that that people just latch onto you know like the story between jonesy hatfield and rosanna mccoy i mean a lot they call them the romeo and yeah. juliet of the appalachians you know so <laughs> yeah. things like things like that or, or that devil ants was like the stonewall jackson of the hillbilly country or something it's just all sorts of stuff so you can just pin mythology on the, on this particular story and i think stories like that are they they tend to kind of have resonance beyond their immediate time periods yeah one thing for me as i was listening to, to you guys episode and as we did ours is i mean that wrath just was so set in and it almost interestingly it's like passed down from generation to generation it's like uh at a generational wrath, you know, or grudges or something like that, that, you know, it was kind of these, these two fathers of these two clans of these two families. And as people were, you know, their children and potentially their children's children, it's, it just was, you know, this wrath was just instilled in them towards this other family who, you know, to a certain extent, they were killing each other just because they felt like it was the, the right thing to do. And, um, how yeah how wrath can just be yeah almost generational right it can be taught it can be learned uh in in the home and that kind of made me look back and say well are there certain things that i'm like instilling in my children that are kind of like you know things that i need to i need to change but yeah interesting so what is the opposing virtue to uh to that to combat that the healing virtue of wrath is patience and I distinctly remember Jamie and I were talking about this particularly, and you pointed out, well, isn't there another one like patience? That seems like a really odd one. And then I kind of thought to myself the same thing, like what, what is it about patience that heals wrath? And I thought to myself, as I looked more into it and kind of just looked at what patience is and what wrath is, it actually makes perfect sense. 
because without patience, wrath comes into into play. Because when you look at patience, patience always thinks before it acts. And then you look at what happened between the Hatfields and McCoys, and there is none of that. Like it's just, oh, you did something wrong, or you're a you're a Hatfield, or a, or you're a McCoy, so I'm going to kill you just because of that reason. So if there was patience involved between the two families, they could have settled their differences. They could have thought before they acted and people could have been saved from being killed for no reason. Yeah. So when you really, when you really think about it, patience actually makes perfect sense as being the healing virtue of wrath because it always seeks to understand. And when you look at the two families, there was, like I said, none of that. It was just, I hate you. So I'm going to kill you. Yeah. I think patience or I think uh, wrath is always our first gut reaction, right? I mean, someone does something to offend us that's that's our first thought and uh, just as human beings as flawed human beings and i think patience is something we like you say scott we have to work at we have to say no i'm not i'm not i'm going to push wrath aside push vengeance wrath you know justice in air quotes what i think justice is and seek yeah patience understanding um and I think, yeah, if these families had a lot in common. And if they would have sought to understand, okay, why are you so upset? And here's why I'm so upset. You know, can the two patriarchs sit down at a table, drink some moonshine and and get over this and, and stop the killing? I think that that really could have happened. Sadly, it didn't. Yeah. Is it? Uh, and very... Yeah. And you also have to look at the story within the context of its time period. Yeah. I mean, it was just it was just after the Civil War. And which was arguably the most divided Divisive, our country yeah. has ever been. So you bet that there was a lot of animosity left over from that between the two families, even though a lot of them were supporting the same side. But so looking at it within the historical context, it, it does kind of help you understand where some of that animosity came from, because we look at it now and we think it's just totally pointless that these families hated each other so much. But you look at it and you can you can kind of understand a little bit, but then you also understand like you were saying, Jamie, what could they have done to end all of that? And they never did. Yeah. You almost think about like nowadays, you know, some say that we're in a, a cold civil war now. And I think in some ways we might, we might be. Uh, maybe there aren't guns firing, but there's definitely a war going on uh, of ideas and, and kind of lifestyles. Uh, and in today's modern world, it's so easy to to get back at someone, to you know, over social media or to smear them publicly or just a, a myriad of things. And so I think we do see wrath, uh, you know, kind of played out sometimes in our public square, you know, like, oh, Kim Kardashian versus Kanye West, you know, or, or something like that. Or just we, we see these things play out right in front of us. And we're like, man, like this, you know, this person has a serious grudge and it's so easily accessible that, you know, we we can watch it happen in real time. So uh, I like that one. That was a cool one. Well, let's do our next one with, here. Go ahead, Jamie. I was just going to say, I think with social media, I think wrath comes easier than it ever has. Yeah. You say things in a wrathful tone and a wrathful response. You know, it's so easy. You can just type it out and it's gone and it's, it's in, it's on the internet for all to see. If you were standing face to face with that person, would you really have said that to him? Probably not. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's. I agree. It is. It is dangerous, and 
you really need to watch what you say, whether it be in person or online. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned social media. I mean, I'm thinking pride, greed, wrath, <laughs> lust, gluttony, envy, sloth, like all these. I'm like, oh man, it's social media just kind of is walk, you know, in step with each one of these things. Yeah. What's uh, your TikTok uh, algorithm showing you these days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah, right, maybe, next maybe next season, Scott, will do the do social media for all seven deadly sins. Like, deadly yeah, sins. Exactly. This, you pick a yeah, social this media. Episode, you, <laughs> this episode sin is TikTok. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so lust. Uh, speaking of TikTok or, or uh, social media, this, uh, this lust is all over, especially Instagram these days. Uh, so uh, Jamie, I'll have to say that uh, this was my favorite one. Uh, I know. Scott, yours are good too, brother, but Lust was my favorite. Well, I think mm. you guys did a poll, and, and this ended up being yeah, the, we did. the favorite one too. Wasn't it, Was it the favorite? Yeah, it was the favorite. Um, this one was the favorite. It was pretty close. It was pretty close with the other ones. They, were all, they all got a lot, of, a lot of similar footage, but uh, this one was the favorite for sure. The polls are totally rigged, but... <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a relatable story that we've heard from... Yeah childhood yeah. really yeah. and it just like hits so close to, to home but so. I, I really like one monologue you had in there when you were talking about like you know he was able to defeat all the philistines and let's this is go, about, let's let's, oh, let's yeah, play let, it before oh, you yeah, get into okay, that okay. <laughs> all right all right all right you're right you're right here we go welcome to episode four the lust of king david this episode's sin is lust Lust is the overwhelming desire for something that yields physical gratification. The object of one's lust is often forbidden or considered deviant. The desire most thought of when considering lust is that of a sexual nature. Nearly every man can relate to this kind of lust because most have fallen prey to and continue to battle against it. Lust for sexual gratification is a sin that can seem innocent to start but often descends down a slippery slope that can end in relational loss, termination of employment, financial ruin, and even death. We can easily consider some of the most obvious examples of lust, but often ignore the temptation festering in our own minds and how we are just one step away from falling into its clutches. One man who succumbed to such a trap was the most celebrated leader of the ancient kingdom of Israel, King David. In this episode, we'll explore what led to his rise to power and how he nearly threw it all away when he allowed lustful temptation to get control of him. Yeah, uh, so a story many of us know, uh, and uh, it's it's just it's just kind of powerful to just hear all that. And then, you like I was saying earlier, you had a monologue in there where you talk about how David was able to defeat Goliath, able to defeat so many things, but his Goliath was lust. Uh, and and he couldn't defeat that. Uh, loved it. What about, uh, yeah, what, what yeah the gi- the giant that slew David was was lost. Yes. Um, it's funny. I we you say you know we've heard this since childhood. I I heard this story at church this morning, and oh yeah, I was kind of thinking about you know I knew we were doing this tonight, and um, I was kind of thinking about it. And <laughs> I I really, it's a as you say a story we all know, and I wanted to, I chose this for obvious reasons. It's it's. It's maybe one of the most well-known uh, stories of lust. You know, this, these famous famous people who have kind of fallen prey to it. 
but I I enjoyed putting kind of an, a, a theatrical spin on it, if you will. And that's kind of how we do our episodes. And I love doing stories we know, and then, you know, adding in sound effects, music, and, and kind of putting you in that, in that same place this man was. And kind of the the beginning the we always have a a theatrical intro theatrical intro we call them Mm -hmm. and uh, it's where david is on the roof and we can read you know you read those stories and it can be easy just to gloss over the fine details of them you know where where was david he was on the roof why was he there well he shouldn't have been there he shouldn't have been anywhere near the palace where he was he should have been leading his man but he he wasn't and and Scott, we talked about this in in Lucent Unscripted that that's that's sloth right there. He should have been fighting with his man, but he got lazy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, pride and and greed of seeing this beautiful woman and well, I'm the king, so I can have whatever I want. Yeah. And and also just that split sec split second that we can all relate to of of seeing something, you know, alluring and instead of turning around, stopping yourself from going there he he didn't he he stumbled and what that can lead to and and in david's case obviously the death of a of an innocent man so um very very uh poignant uh i guess example of that one that you said as you said we all know and um i had had fun with it, it was also a challenging episode i think because um you know david's known as this hero in biblical history and also i think it is important though to not just focus on those things it's important to see where these men fell because i think we can learn more from that than their triumphs you know where how did these just goliaths of of uh not no pun intended um (laughs) these these men of of history who just are so famous for what they did the good they did how did they stumble so hard on on something so simple and it's an example of how it can happen to all of us yeah and he's similarly for king solomon right you talked about him yes yeah we kind of kind of ended with that where you know he was king king david's son and he went through a lot of the same things and and even more it it was magnified he had yeah hundreds of wives hundreds of concubines and he uh he just fell into the exact same trap that his dad did yeah i like that it's also it's interesting too looking at both of their stories though and how they both came to see the futility and the waste of all of it whereas with king david you have uh if you look at psalm 51 that is a chronicle of his repentance of that sin of lust with bathsheba and I mean, it it's really beautiful when you read it, though, because it's so honest and heartfelt that you really get the sense that he saw the weight of what he did mm-hmm. and how it affected so many people around him. And then you have Solomon with the book of Ecclesiastes, where, you know, he's an old man reflecting on his life and he realizes that was just a waste. I mean, what a waste. Mm-hmm. So you definitely get the sense that they, they both had the same gen- that they both had the same flaw of lust but you get the sense that they both learned from it in their own way yeah so what's the corresponding virtue to lust yes the corresponding virtue is love go figure um i think there it's it's an easy one because love is very much the opposite because lust looks at if, if we look at those two those two words lust and love 
in the context of you know of of sex and and relationships mm-hmm. you know lust is seeking that for yourself not considering the other person just just seeking your own pleasure and your own um and and whatever you want to get from that relationship whereas love it's it's seeking seeking that pleasure as well and that relationship but also considering well what does the other person need um and how do their needs um come before my needs you know how how can how can their needs um be fulfilled in this and even at the expense of my own so um i i quoted uh kind of kind of paraphrased uh first corinthians 13 in the ending of the episode kind of where paul lays out what love is patience kindness no not envy there's another deadly sin yeah not being boastful kind of pride that's not arrogant or rude irritable or resentful um so very much is the opposite of lust and and the opposite of what what got david into that scenario love it man that was a, that was a great episode thank let's, you uh, let, let's hit that next one ethan you want me to yeah, so the next one is gluttony. And this one had a really interesting story that uh, I think was maybe uh, 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 there wasn't tons of details on it, but it was um, you guys kind of straight out of Scott's mind. Yes, yeah, spelled it out really well <laughs> and kind of developed a little bit of the a little bit of historical information that you had versus, um, you know, kind of a- adding to it, and making it even better. So gluttony. Go ahead, Jared. Welcome to episode 5, The Gluttony of Reginald III. This episode's sin is gluttony. Gluttony is the overconsumption of food and drink to the detriment of the consumer and those less fortunate. A gluttonous man hoards for himself what he could give to others. It is a sin defined by materialism, hedonism, and a belief that there is only the eternal present. When describing the behavior of the wicked, the Bible's book of Philippians proclaims that their stomach is their God. While a gluttonous man is many things, he is, above all else, a worshiper of idols. One such example of this destructive vice is the little-known Reginald III, a man whose tragic tale graphically reveals what happens when we refuse to refrain from good things that can also destroy us. Due to scant historical information, this episode is based loosely on true events. Yeah, so uh, maybe kind of want to break the story down quickly, a little bit of uh, kind of what what happened there. Yeah, so this is a story that I remembered from high school, of all places. And um, it was used, I don't remember if it was a teacher or a pastor or or someone in that role of just using it as an example about being becoming a prisoner of your own appetite. And that story always stuck with me, stuck with me. And I, I knew it was based on an actual histor- historical figure. So when it came time to do global boom, I got to do this person. I don't know anything about them, but I'm going to research it. <laughs> and it turned out to be this really obscure ruler in England in a small duchy or, or in, I, so, in Holland. So, yeah, in, in Holland, I think it was. Yeah. 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 And like I said, not really much information about him. I'm, I'm guessing he was probably one of those people who didn't really do much that was worthy of note. So 
at that time they were probably thinking, yeah, we don't really need to talk about him. He didn't really do much, but just this one particular aspect about him where he was just, you know, as rotund as you could possibly get, I imagine. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, a massive guy that was just so gluttonous and eating everything and, and, uh, is uh you know between two brothers one of the they they kind of feuded right and then the one brother put the other brother in a room with an open door and fed him as much as he possibly could eat with an open door saying you can leave anytime you fit through that door and uh yeah fit, fit through the a, door he did he became not. a prisoner of his own eating yeah i mean and it's one of those things where it's, it seems really extreme but it's also very profound and sad when you read about it where you think he could he so easily could have gotten out of that room but his brother knew him all too well and you definitely get a sense that there was a huge amount of animosity between the two brothers i mean a, a brother doesn't do something like that if he is on good terms with it with his brother you know so yeah i felt i felt like that was the angle that i could approach the episode from was um kind of setting it within the context of these two brothers going at it. This is one of the ones that to me seemed very like habit forming. Right. And so you know, it, it could have just been, I mean, if, if he would have potentially just n- not eaten or cut what he was eating in half or whatever else, like potentially had, he had 100% control over his situation, but his addiction controlled him you know how many times in our life whether it's you know maybe somebody is struggling with a, an addiction to, to drugs or even to smoking or even to you know, I don't know pornography or whatever it might be people have these these addictions that that just kind of consume people's lives and they, they get so bad to where you are you are the person that can can get yourself out of it but it's almost like you don't have the strength to do it, which is just, it's just really interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think what's interesting about gluttony as a sin is that for some people, it's obvious because you just look at their bodies and you go, wow, OK, clearly that person has an eating problem. But for the average Joe, like like us right here, we're, we're clearly not of the sumo variety, but, you know, but we could easily fall into that sin very subtly where you just get this idea of oh what's one more piece of cake what's one more steak what's one more this you know what's that gonna do you know but then you look at it and you think well someone else could have that instead i'm taking it for myself so looking at gluttony from that perspective it was very fascinating as i was doing the episode of just thinking wow i never really looked at gluttony as having that kind of an effect on other people. Cause you think gluttony is more just you're sinning against yourself, but no, you are sinning against other people by being gluttonous because that's stuff that they could take for themselves that you're taking for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that potentially I, could, yeah, potentially could help their lives, but you have so much that you just want more. It, it, to me, it kind of went along really well with greed Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, but more but, of like yeah. a, a physical sense of, you know, gluttony overindulgent. Well, I think of like gluttony yeah. of the mind, like mindless scrolling or just like, you know, binging on, on Netflix, just like just this gluttonous 
I have to watch the next episode. I have to watch the next episode or just keep scrolling just to try to numb out your senses. It's a very Mm -hmm. similar way. Uh, Maybe you don't wear that on your body and it's not that visible. uh, But sometimes it, you know, that, that can also be gluttony, I think. Yeah. I don't think it's just your, your body size, right? It's, it's so much more. It's even, even if you don't struggle with that, that, uh, your eating doesn't really show up in those ways. Your eating could still be a problem. You could be eating Nothing really unhealthily, and, yeah. and and you could, you might be fine for a while, but you know that people drop dead of heart attacks every day, and and they may have looked completely completely healthy before that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think gluttony is one where uh, you know you can look at it and say, oh, that's that's not an issue for me, but. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we just not even consider that as, as ever being an issue for ourselves because it, it is, um, you know, what are you, are you eating, are you eating more or even just eating really unhealthily and you could be taking better care of yourself? Um, I think we're all in that boat. So, um, it's gluttony is certainly something that we shouldn't ignore. Yeah. Yeah, and that one kind of yeah. went with uh, like the the whole social media thing we we're talking about, and not just like Facebook or TikTok or whatever else, but just overindulgence of something. You know, it's yeah, if you're gonna sit there for, you know, a little bit and watch YouTube videos or scroll through whatever, but if you're, you know, if you lose your job because you can't put your phone down or because you're just scrolling mindlessly through social media, I mean, it's, you're just like overindulgence of something that could potentially be a good thing. You know, food and sustenance is a good thing, but. And an overabundance it can can really ruin your situation. So I'm thinking the corresponding virtue yeah. is discipline here. Would that be accurate? Uh, the one that I used in the episode was temperance. Okay. Yeah. But I uh, I think yeah. I think Good that thing, could work yeah. too. Dis- I think discipline could work too. Yeah. I mean, we tend to think of temperance in relation to alcohol, but I've never looked at it strictly in those terms. I I think it applies to to the same thing that discipline does. Well, temperate mean, but, means um, being just moderate with your income, your intake, and, and uh, moderate or disciplined. You know, those are you can say they're synonymous, but uh, yeah, I like temperance too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it, it's just one of those things where you look at you look at what you have and you say, "Am I going to go there or am I not going to?" You know, it's very similar to you know David's incident on the roof. You know, am I going to take this for myself or am I just going to move on? Yeah. Love so that. it's all just right. it, it all or you could just say self-control and the at the end, you know, because that's really what it comes down to. You know, if you're yeah. if you have self-control, then you're not going to, you know, be the size of a semi truck. So. <laughs> all right. Let's let's do uh, envy next. Uh, this was uh, yours, Jamie. Is that right? Yep. This was mine. All right. Let's go ahead and roll this roll this clip here. Welcome to episode six, the envy of Benedict Arnold. This episode's sin is envy. Envy is a deep-seated discontentment with what one has when compared to others. It is a sin that combines feelings of covetousness, jealousy, and selfishness. Although it is something often concealed in the mind, hidden by subtle remarks or passive-aggressive comments, it can eventually give birth to a whole host of other sins. The envious man can never show genuine happiness for the success of others because he is always left comparing it to himself and questioning its merit. 
always seeing it as a slight against himself. One of history's most devastating examples of envy is perhaps America's greatest hero turned villain, Benedict Arnold. In this episode, we'll delve into his life as an American patriot during the Revolutionary War, how he rose through the ranks to become one of George Washington's most trusted generals, and how his envy led him to betray the country he had once fought so hard to defend. What made you choose uh, Benedict Arnold? Yeah, this one actually, it was tough to pick one because it was I had a few that I was thinking about. Um, what were some of the other ones you were thinking about? I was thinking about uh, Vladimir Lenin, for sure. Uh, envy, you know, just the whole communism thing. The whole concept of communism is very envious. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I read, I read an article about Benedict Arnold, and it really fascinated me that he was, I mean, he was like a really high up general, you know, in, in the Continental Army. He he was kind of loved by by. Uh, by George Washington. He was supported by him, even when others were kind of trying to push him out, trying to, there's was, was a lot of politics going on. Uh, George Washington really stuck by him um, until the end, until he decided to to betray the country. But um, it was just a really interesting story of a guy who, who could have, you know, he, he did a lot for the country. He was a brave soldier, a great leader, military leader. And he could have even went on to become, who knows, who knows, he could have even become president someday. And, and he, he just threw it all away because he got envious of really the other generals in, in the army, they were getting promoted before him. He felt like he should have been, been that guy and that he deserved it more. And it really hits at envy because envy really is not being able to be satisfied and not ever being able to be happy for anyone else for what they may achieve or or get um and wanting that all for yourself and and i put this this quote in there it's it's actually from it's in the conclusion of the episode uh benjamin franklin said of arnold uh judas sold only one man arnold sold three million you know, meaning meaning that you know the population of of the country back then well, and, it wasn't uh, just, uh, it wasn't, it, that one man though was pretty important. <laughs> he, he was pretty important, yeah. But, uh, you know, kind of a, a quirky, you know, uh, tongue in cheek thing. But yeah. um, I thought that was pretty clever from Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. This is a, was a witty one. This was one, the one where you, at the end you had like a poem or something that I think. Yeah, the, the poem. Scott, you read. Scott actually read it. Uh, that poem I found, um, I think I was actually listening to, uh, a documentary or watching a documentary on Arnold and it had that poem at the beginning. I never was able to find the exact source. All I could figure was this appeared in some news article after Arnold had betrayed the country. And, hmm. you know, obviously all the news articles were, were telling people the story. That's how people got their news back then. And, yeah. and someone had written this really just piercing poem directed towards him and, yeah, you should let go listen to the to the episode, listeners. Yeah. It's it's a good one. Scott did a good job reading it. Yeah, I, I never I never get the meaty lines. I never get the really big poetic epic <laughs> moments. So I definitely milked it for all it was worth. I, I was kind of like, oh, this is a great episode, and, then, and at the end, I was like, wait, what is this? This is a surprise. And then it was uh, Scott, you know, talking about sharing the poem. At first, I was like, what is this? What is going on? What is this? And then I was like, oh, nice. Uh, 
So yeah, I thought thought we'd throw that in there, just kind of just a way to it gets the feeling of how everyone felt about his, his betrayal. Cause it was such a, a slap in the face. Cause he was so high up and so mm-hmm. well thought of uh, by a lot of people in, in America at the time. So how do we combat? Well, I think you go ahead. Well, I think you, you mentioned too, Jamie, I think in loose and unscripted that I, I thought was a very good point where um, had he not committed the sin of envy and gone that route, he probably would be remembered as a hero today. Oh yeah. But because, for sure. but because of that, we only think of him as a traitor. We don't think of any of his achievements before then. Yeah. So it, it, it's another one of those things about just history and the sins in general is that we remember these people because of these things when they did have a lot of good qualities and yet because of these sins and how much it affected those around them, that's all we think about them now. Yeah. So it's, it's just very, very fascinating looking at it from a historical standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. His, history was not kind to him for sure. <laughs> and what's the corresponding virtue for envy the corresponding virtue was generosity it's just you know being generous uh for others uh meaning not always wanting the best for yourself um a lot of other generals got promoted and instead of you know being happy for them i understand that there's it's just like the workplace right if someone gets promoted and you're like, oh, congratulations, you know, <laughs> but it's, it, it, I, and I think that's, that's where we can, we can learn a lesson from this kind of story is, is that your first thought when someone gets promoted in, in the same kind of area of your, even where you work, are you actually happy for them? Or yeah. is there that ping of, oh man, I, I'm kind of envious of that. And, and how do we, how do we do you know, heart surgery on ourselves. How do we say, why do I feel that way? Why is that my first instinct to feel envious? And and how do I bring myself to be happy for them and, you know, be generous for there's only so many, there was only so many places that, that they could promote people uh, into the, yeah. uh, to be a general. And, you know, he, for whatever reason got passed up, whether it be, um, it was most likely, um, Probably he deserved it, but it, it didn't happen. And um, instead of saying, "Okay, well, what can I do to further prove myself?" he he just got bitter about it. And and uh, instead of having generosity and saying, "Okay, well, it wasn't me this time," um, and I, I say in the episode, so a generous person he practices the the feast over famine mentality, meaning there's always another chance. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's always another chance for me, even if it's not going back to the work analogy you know even if it's not this company yeah there's other another chance for me out there and and not to get bitter because once you get bitter then you're it's it's just a downfall from there yeah yeah for sure i i I think that's uh, that's that's really important in in the feast over famine mentality and there's a lot of times and and i will self-admittedly um for example like uh sports personnel like people that play sports and they're making you know hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever else i look at that and i'm like man all they're doing is just like throwing a football or just kicking a soccer ball and they're making all this money and i'm you know doing this and this and that or whatever not that they don't work hard for it but i'm like is that really contributing to society (laughs) and you know they're making all this money and i'm whatever well they're making all this money doesn't take money out of my pocket at all and so um and 
and so it's just it's 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 interesting. I think that's definitely definitely cool. Well, that yeah. kind of brings us to the the last one here is sloth uh, slothfulness. Uh, this is something that uh, is really interesting to me, and, and the story is is kind of one that uh, is is a fictional story, right? Right, Scott. And so yeah. it kind of brought it home a little bit. But Jared, let's go ahead and play the sloth one, and then we'll get into it. Okay. Welcome to episode seven, the sloth of Lord Denethor. This episode's sin is sloth, sloth perhaps better known today as laziness or idleness, is unique in that it is not defined by evil actions, but rather by inaction. A slothful man may well be aware the harm being done to his family, friends, community, or country, yet will ultimately refuse to do what is needed to bring about change. A slothful man scoffs at hard work out of concern that the borders of his comfort zones will be violated. Because of his belief that he can do nothing to fix the problems around him, he allows fear and vice to be his masters. Perhaps most horribly of all, a slothful man refuses to offer his strength to a world that desperately needs it. One of literature's most striking examples of sloth is Lord Denethor, a character featured in J.R.R. Tolkien's epic masterwork, The Lord of the Rings. When he experiences a great loss, he becomes so overwhelmed with his own emotions that the city he leads grows more and more vulnerable to the greatest evil of the age. My favorite part of that is slothfulness is not divine, defined really by inaction, but more inaction. Uh, I thought that was that was really really cool. So Scott, what what kind of made you think about this character? Well, um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the films are my favorite my favorite film of all time, without question, hands down. Nothing else even comes close. <laughs> so. Um, and I, it was another. It was another one of those ones where looking at historical examples, it's pretty difficult to come up with one. Although I'm sure you could probably find one if you really dug deep. But I thought to myself, well, we haven't. I don't think we've done a fictional one yet. So, you know, fiction can teach us just as much as history. And who better than Denethor? And that's the one that came to mind. Was wow, he, like how do you in his inaction led to all this destruction? So I, I think that's another thing where sloth is a very is is kind of a the one that stands out differently from the other sins. And like you said, it's defined not by what you do, but by what you don't do and how by not doing things, you have the same effect that the other sins have by what you do. So it's very it's a very fascinating concept where inaction can lead to destruction as much as action. I think about yeah. one, one thing For I was sure. reading about sloth is that, you know, uh, the original, when, when these original folks like the Evagaris uh, Pontius or uh, Ponticus uh, wrote this, he was a monk. He was talk, He was really gearing this towards monks at the beginning, and sloth was almost like slothfulness in keeping the commandments or like doing the things that you should be doing, like praying and like studying and, and like nourishing yourself spiritually. And so I think if you also you can think about it like that and like are you are we being slothful and in the way that we uh, follow God, uh, whatever way that may be for you. Uh, and not just like, you know, are you being, or are you being a lazy dad? I think that's like, or are you being a lazy employee? Are you not giving, you know, to your employer what you say you're giving, you know, in regards to time. 
So, and there's so many different ways to, to view this virtue. Um, and also this was one of the ones that they kind of attributed with sadness and like, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, and you look at, and you look at the story that Tolkien wrote and I mean, he's, the character is portrayed a lot less sympathetically in the films than the novels. Like in the novels, you can really sympathize with the character. And um, in the films, he's kind of portrayed as being driven mad by what he's gone through and the, or that he always kind of had that madness, but, and maybe that's true. I don't know, but I haven't read the, I haven't read the trilogy in a while, but um, in looking, doing research for it, looking back over the story that Tolkien wrote is you see these, incidents that happen in his life of great loss where he loses his wife and then he loses his son and those losses just gradually chip away at his soul and his resolve to the point where that's all he knows mm-hmm. and as a result of that his entire kingdom suffers and i think the films do a really great job of portraying that where there, like there's a line where they um where one, one of the soldiers says to Gandalf, he, he's seen this doom forever, this city that he was supposed to defend. He knew this was coming. And then Gandalf just says he foresaw it and did nothing. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. paraphrasing a little bit, but basically yeah. that's what he says. He foresaw it. He knew it was a possibility and he did nothing about it because he's so overwhelmed by his feelings and emotions. And I, I think if there's one defining virtue or defining sin among men today, it's probably this one. If you ask me, lust probably could be another one, but I think this is probably the biggest one because it's often out of sloth that these other sins come to play. There's so many men these days, they just do nothing with their lives. They do nothing with their time of note. They they just waste away and they don't think of themselves as having any strength to offer the world when in reality, every man has strength to offer the world. It's just that no one has prompted them in that direction. So it was a particularly meaningful episode for me in that sense of just feeling like, wow, this speaks to so many men today. And it just and it filled me kind of with sadness because how many men today don't have people in their lives telling them you do have strength. You do. You can offer this to the world. So get off your butt and do it. Yeah. You know, stop wasting your time. So what virtue can we cultivate to combat this sin? Uh, The one that I chose was diligence. Well, I, I say I chose it. I actually got it from a list that some other <laughs> religious figures had come up with. So I, I didn't come up with that. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm no monk. But <laughs> so and, and diligence, too, is the very opposite of sloth. And that diligence is one of those virtues that is defined solely by what you do. You know, I think a lot of virtues are very much a mindset or a heart mentality. But diligence is all about action. Like we are not wasting time. We're not going to linger over what might have been. We are going to act and we are going to do things to make this right. Get it and then done. You look at, and you look at the story of Denethor and his his downfall in that story and you see full well. Yeah, well, if he was diligent, he could have done a lot more for his kingdom. And you could ar- you could argue that, you know, his kingdom was going to be under threat no matter what. And that's very much true. But think of how much that threat would have been mitigated had he been diligent and not wasted his time in sorrow. I think this is one that I sometimes uh, feel like, I don't know, uh, a fear that I may be guilty of. Um, maybe that's just because I'm of my personality. I'm always like trying to drive. I'm a driver. And so when I never relax a little bit, I'm like, Oh, I'm being slothful, you know? Uh, but I, I think <laughs> part of it is like that 
uh, it's not the the commission part, like me just lazing around the house. Uh, really, the part of the sin that I, I feel like I might be guilty of sometimes is the omission part. I think we're at a time in our country where oh, so many of our freedoms are being eroded, and, and there's so much stuff going on. I feel like, in some cases, I feel totally helpless as to what's going on with this country, and I'm just like, do I really want my kids to grow up in a country like this? Or should I just move into the middle of the woods somewhere and just raise them, you know, <laughs> homeschool them independently and just do my own thing? Uh, you know, so I'm like, as a man, how do I stand up? How do I stand up to this society uh, and try to make a better world? Uh, you know, obviously, I'm trying to do that through the podcast, trying to do that in interactions with everybody on a daily basis. But is that enough? You know, should I be doing more? And that's kind of what sometimes plagues me with me when I lay my head down to sleep at night. That's what plagues me. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it should. I think, I, I think it should plague us. I, I think that's that should be the thought on all our minds is, man, uh, what are we not, you know, what things are going on in our lives that are we are not doing something about? You know, everybody has something that, that they're struggling with, something that's not, you know, maybe uh, the way it should be okay, but, but what are you doing about it? What are you, what steps are you taking um, to make it better. And, you know, maybe you can't fix it. Maybe it's something that can't be fixed, but are you just doing nothing? And I think that the Denethor character in, in the trilogy, it's it's a really, I, I think it's possibly one of the most relatable because we we all fall prey to that. We we see these big, huge problems and we just freeze and we yeah. say, well, I, I can't fix it, so I might as well just do nothing. And and at the other side of that, you know, the character of Aragorn, who, who is this, this guy who who is very humble, and he doesn't think he can, he can fix it. He he says, "Well, I I, I can't fix it," but he doesn't just stop and say, "Well, I'm just going to do nothing." He takes the steps and uses his skills, and then he becomes king, and he does resolve it. He does fix it. So, mm-hmm. I think those two characters are are we can pull a lot of lessons from them, as you say, Scott. It's not just true stories that can teach us things. Fiction can as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be real in order for us to learn from it. <laughs> totally. Well, guys, this, we've, we've covered all the seven deadly sins. Uh, I think this has been a great discussion. Uh, any, I'd encourage all the listeners to go and listen to this miniseries. You know, they're short episodes. If you listen to it on two times speed, it's done in like seven minutes. <laughs> 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 so that's usually how I listen we'll, to podcasts yeah, nowadays. And, and we'll sound a lot funnier too. Yeah. Well, so, actually, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I, I would suggest <laughs> listening on to maybe nothing higher than one point two, uh, because yeah. the, the audio uh, on these is, is really cool and it's very theatrical. So if you go too fast, you'll miss the theatrics, which is and part if you're of the if you're going for humor, listen to us on half speed. That is really funny. Okay. Oh, be like the healing <laughs> virtue is diligence. <laughs> Well, nowadays, yeah. when I listen to people on regular speed, I feel like I'm listening to them on half speed. It's weird. <laughs> I listen to that is all. Strange. You I should listen, get that looked at. I listened to the whole book of Atlas Shrugged on like 2.2 speed because it was like a, it was like a nine hour book, and I was like, "Oh man, I gotta get through it faster." Yeah, do nine hours. So I <laughs> listened to it just lightning speed, and then I I would occasionally taper it back so I could really hear the good parts uh, in, in just regular time. And I was like, man, it feels like they're just dragging this on. 
I know that's one of the major criticisms of Ayn Rand's writing is just the clunkiest prose imaginable. <laughs> so, well, thanks everyone. Uh, appreciate you guys coming. Uh, you know, this has been a great episode. Uh, it's been a great way to, for us to build our creed. Uh, that's what we're all about. And I know you guys are about building those virtues. So uh, we are a great team together. Yeah. Thanks for having Absolutely. us on again, guys. Um, yeah. Go listen to seven deadly sins. We've also got a, uh, an episode coming out or a, a new season coming out here that uh it, it may have some voices that the a brother's creed podcast listeners might recognize <laughs> indeed be That's prepared to be great yes so all right guys take care thanks all right thanks, bye thanks guys Thanks for listening to this special interview episode, and many thanks to Jared and Ethan for hosting us. It's important to have like-minded people around you in whatever you do, and in the podcasting space, we appreciate what the Thomas brothers do with the motivation, experiences, and exploration they share through their podcast. If you haven't done so already, search Our Brothers Creed wherever you listen, hit subscribe, and give them a listen. Now to the big reveal. Season 4 is coming next month. This has proven to be the most challenging season to produce yet, and we are confident you'll enjoy it. The first episode of Season 4 will be available on April 3rd, with the trailer dropping next Wednesday, March 22nd. Keep an eye on our Instagram page, virtuous underscore man, for more stories of man of virtue. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.